Hey, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 7. <clears throat> Excited to uh, go through this passage with you guys. This has been something that's really, um, well, one, uh, has been really close and near and dear to my heart over the past few years. I've thought about this a lot. And... Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to share uh, some of those things with you guys this morning. Um, before I read the passage, though, we've obviously we've been in the Gospel of Mark this whole time, and uh, <clears throat> I would just encourage you guys, especially if, if you guys were here a few weeks ago um, when I, which by the way, my name's Nathan. If this is your first time um, to uh, to be here, welcome. But uh, if you guys remember when I talked a few weeks ago, I, I covered the first probably five or ten minutes. I covered a lot of kind of historical background um, into the life of Christ. And uh, just kind of want to give a plug for our next core class that's starting on April the 7th. So, um, uh, is that a week from today? Is it? Yeah, that is. Dang, oh man. Um, so, yeah, it's, it starts next Thursday. You can go online, um, go on uh, the Watermark webpage to equip and then core classes, and then you can sign up for that. But that's a six-week course. We're going to be meeting um, uh, on Thursday nights, and, and we're gonna, we'll cover... Um, it's, it's kind of a thematic overview of the life of Jesus, but, but a lot of background and context and setting the stage and who are the players. And, and when it says this in the Gospels, why is it saying that? And we're going to cover all that stuff. And then we'll go through Jesus' um, birth, his claims about himself, what he did about those claims, what was his message, um, why was his death, burial, and resurrection so um, crucial for our lives? And why, you know, I mean, ultimately, why do we shape and form our entire lives around this man. So um, if, you, if you're interested in that, I uh, definitely want to uh, make you aware of that. <clears throat> but let's, let's read Mark, Mark 7. We're going to read um, a pretty good chunk of scripture here, and then I'm going to talk through um, kind of a, a, a distinction that, that needs to be made about how we practice um, our faith. So Mark 7, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed, and washed their hands. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. Again, if you were here a few weeks ago, that hopefully makes a little more sense. When they, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, um, such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. It's really interesting because you, Mark rarely makes parenthetical uh, statements, but he does here. Actually, in, in Mark 7, he does a couple of times. And so um, it, it's kind of like he's saying, look, okay, I need to explain this to you. <clears throat> um, uh, part of it is he's writing to a Gentile audience, but, um, but also when he's making parenthetical statements, we probably ought to pay attention to that. Um, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their foods with unclean hands? He replied, and he's not mincing words. <laughs> he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. And he quotes Isaiah 29. These people, harden, these people honor, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you, um, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man, 
says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise receive from me is Corbin, which uh, that, to just explain that for a second. So, so it, uh, the, the statement Corbin is like if, if uh, let's say your kid um, has money and he says, all of my money is a gift to God. So like everything is a gift to God. Then, then in their mind, they're saying, no, then whatever's a gift to God can't go to your parents. Um, so if I was to give all of my money to God, but then my parents are growing old and they need something from me, it's a, it's a way for me to frankly get out of helping my parents because I'm like, no, nope, sorry, I've already given it to God, right? That's what Corbin means. That is, it's a gift devoted to God. Um, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone understand this. Nothing outside of a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Do you, um, don't you see that nothing enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. Um, for from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these things come from the inside and make a man unclean. So um, how many of you guys have been tracking along with Keller's book, um, Jesus the King? It's a great book. Um, this is, in my opinion, of all the chapters we've read so far, I think this chapter is, is, is probably, in my, well, I've liked it the best, <laughs> right? That doesn't mean it is the best. It just means I've, I've liked it the best. Um, and, and, and Keller does a good job of showing like, hey, um, a lot of times we think of, um, we think of the Pharisees as, as the bad guys, but, but rarely do we think of ourselves as the Pharisees, right? Because the Pharisees are bad guys. And of course, I'm not a bad guy. I mean, you know, everybody else is a bad guy, but not me. It's kind of that deal, at the, you know, the convention where, where everybody around you has something wrong with them and you're there, but you're, you don't have anything wrong with you. You know, um, it's, we rarely um, look at ourselves in the mirror and, and see with objective eyes what actually is, which is why we need, frankly, if you're married, you know this about your wife, right? She's a mirror for you. Um, which can be really frustrating, right? Um, it's like, man, stop being a mirror, please. Um, just because she's, she's showing you what um, ultimately you, you, it, you either can't or is very difficult for you to see. And so I think the first point I would make this morning is, is um, uh, how did these guys who were so zealous for the law of God and so zealous for God himself end up at a point where they were nullifying the command of God so that they could practice um, a, a, re, a religion or a legalism that had been passed down f- from their fathers. In other words, the, the way that they were practicing their Christianity um, at the time had trumped what God said was actually Christianity. And that's a really dangerous place to be. And frankly, guys, that's a really dangerous place for you and me to be, right? Because of all the people that are in danger of this, um, it's the guys that are going to wake up at like 6, 5.30 in the morning and come up here and sit in a seat and listen to some chump, you know, talk from uh, a book or, or the Bible and then get together. And, you know, because, I mean, frankly, you guys are like, yeah, I, I want to grow. I want to be, I want to be faithful. You know? 
And, and that's a good thing, but I'm, uh, this morning I want to talk about just the implicit danger that exists there um, where um, we also can get to the point where the practice of what we're doing trumps what God has actually called us to be. Right? And so I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about what Keller calls outside-in cleansing. You guys read this in the, in the chapter this week? Um, so I thought it was a really good designation. I mean, obviously he's taking directly from Jesus's words um, that, that nothing, you, nothing you ingest from the outside makes you unclean. Um, but uh, a lot of times that's how we try to cleanse ourselves is from external um, acts of, of righteousness. So an outside-in cleansing um, the goal uh, is morality. And, and let me back up for j- just a second before I get into this. Um, even about 400 years prior to Jesus, there was a Greek philosopher named Aristotle. You know this guy? Um, really, yeah, three to 400 years before Jesus. And Aristotle began to think a lot about how, how is virtue formed in, in the human person? So if, if justice and prudence and temperance and courage, if these are things that we really desire um, f- to be formed in us, how do those things get formed in us? And so in Aristotelian virtue formation, Aristotle says that the, um, you have to aim at the right goal. And for Aristotle, the goal was those four cardinal virtues, um, courage, prudence, uh, temperance, and another one that I just said and can't remember anymore. Um, so Aristotle said those are the four virtues that, that need to be formed in the human heart. And here's how you do it. You aim at the right goal, and then you determine the steps that's needed to get you to that goal. And then, and then you habitually practice those steps to get there, right? Sounds pretty familiar, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you want to lose weight, then you're like, hey, the goal is to weigh, you know, I don't know, 180 pounds. And right now I weigh 220. So um, I need to put out a plan and then I need to habitually take those steps until I meet my goal, right? I mean, it's pretty standard. We do the same thing today. Um, However, in the outside-in cleansing, um, the goal, uh, even though it may start out to, as, as faithfulness to God, can, can quickly become um, about right behaviors. How am I behaving? Because that's how, those are like the, the external me, uh, metrics that typically we measure ourselves by. Did I do this? And then, and then next month, did I not do this? Or did I not do this? And then the next month I did it. Like, uh, so we can measure our progress as we go. We love to, to measure things. We, don't, we love to use that metric that, that can show us we're making progress. And so it, it very quickly becomes about right behavior or morality. And so the goal is that in outside-in cleansing. How am I changing my behavior? The cardinal virtues are moral behaviors. So, um, you know, am I, am, I, am I being more patient with my wife? Am, am I, um, and, and by patient, I mean like when, when she says something, even though I'm like really angry inside, I bite my tongue, you know? Um, or do I help out around the house more? Or... Um, do I not lash out at my kids as much? Do I bite my tongue um, when, when I get angry? Um, do I, um, even though um, I still am filled with lust in my heart, <laughs> um, do I not act out on, on that lust? Like, the, the, in other words, there's that external behavior that we're looking at that like, hey, I'm doing pretty good because my behavior is improving. 
Um, the process includes, again, an Aristotelian virtue formation. Aim at the right goal, determine the steps to need to achieve the goal, and then habitually practice those steps. This is what it looks like in the Christian moralist cycle. If, if this is the type of methodology that we are looking, out, looking at in an attempt to uh, cleanse us from the outside in, this is ultimately what it looks like. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, Are you so foolish that you who began by the Spirit are now attempting to be completed in the flesh. Right? So this is, hey, not raise your hand, but just internally, raise your hand if this sounds like you. You fail. You're like, dadgummit. I didn't mean to do that, but I did it. You know, crap. (laughs) All right. I'm going to experience a little bit of guilt and shame here. Right? And the guilt and shame comes from this kind of um, uh, neurotic self-talk that sounds like this. I should have kept the law of God, right? And then here's the, really, here's the really insidious part that we tell ourselves a lot that is simply not true. I can keep the law of God. I'll try harder and I'll do better next time. And then the next step is you plan to improve your behavior. You put up, other, you put up higher fences. You put up more filters, you, you build in more accountability. You, you, you get guys around you. I mean, it, honestly, guys, a lot of times this sounds like, um, hey, um, put a stronger fence around me so that I don't jump out of the fence and do all these bad things, but you're still a rabid dog. So you, you plan to improve your moral behavior, but, but ultimately what happens is, um, if I can get this thing to go, is, is it you act on that and, and you might have some external improvement, but then you fail to act and you start back at number one. And it's this vicious cycle of, I fail. I experience guilt and shame. I neurotically talk to myself. It sounds like this. Ah, oh, Lord, here I am again. I, sh- I should have obeyed you. I can obey you. Okay, help me to, to devise a plan so that I can obey you. And then, and then you implement that plan. And, and then you fail at that plan and start back at number one. And then you experience guilt and shame. And then there's neurotic self-talk. And then you plan to improve your moral behavior. And then you act. And then you fail to act. And then you da 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 This is boring, man. You know what I'm saying? But this is, a lot of times, guys, this is what our life looks like. Am I right? And, and, and yet, um, this, is, this is the kind of thing that, that we, we think is going to produce um, change in us, but it, it, it just doesn't. It can't. It cannot produce the change in you that you're looking for. In um, outside-in cleansing, your, your change comes through discipline. It comes through your self-will to, man, all right, that's the behavior I need. Here are the steps that I'm going to take. And a lot of times, guys, um, even though, you know, the programs that we offer at Watermark and all these things are, are good and, and they're good context, they're good, env- they're good environments for you to enter into and, and for the spirit to heal you in that environment. But a lot of times we make it just about the steps that we need to take in those programs, thinking that those steps will fix you. Regeneration will not fix you. Reengage will not fix you. Equip disciple will not fix you. They can't fix you. Only Jesus can fix you. Right? 
And so let's not, even though I I think we're in danger of this, but let's not, as we are uh, moving through the tool that God has given for us to, uh, uh, to bring about transformation in our lives, let's not make the tool the end. That's the mistake the Pharisees made, right? And they truly believed that they could, from the outside in, through external acts of righteousness, through self-will, through discipline, that they actually could bring about transformation. And yet, in this outside cleansing model, outside in cleansing model, formation only occurs externally. You are only painting a white wall. You're only painting a, 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 a tombstone, Right? You're becoming a whitewashed tomb. And yet Jesus um, comes against this with with such a radical, um, uh, different model. And and it's this. This is the command of God. Uh, uh, I mean, there's there's a ton of of, of commands. In fact, I was listening to a guy, a conversation with a dude um, not too long ago. I was overhearing it. And I really kind of wanted to jump in. But I was like, I don't know this guy. And, you know, that'd be weird if I like jump in and start correcting him. Then I'm, then I'm like the Bible doctrine, like Nazi, you know, like, hey! <clears throat> that's, that's not cool. Um, but this guy is saying, he's like, he's like, man, we're supposed to obey Jesus's commands. So what did I do, man? I, I went through all of the gospels and I got, I, I looked at every place that Jesus made a command and, and I wrote it down. And I, now I have a, I have the list of commands that Jesus wants me to follow. And now I can follow Jesus's commands. Do not do that. Right? <laughs> Please save yourself and others, frankly. Um, don't do that. Right? That's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Um, because ultimately, you could follow all of those commands, but do it in the wrong way and you miss all of them. Right? So, this is Jesus' command. And all other commands are wrapped up in this one command love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. And, and frankly, it flows, it flows from it. You cannot obey the first command and not obey the second one. Um, they're, they're intricately tied together. And, and, and frankly, all of the other commands as well. If you obey the first one, all of the other ones fall into place. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Right? Um, Richard Foster in The Celebration of Discipline, which I highly recommend. All right. If you don't have that book, please go buy it and just read it. All right. We'll, we'll go through uh, a little, uh, a few more things in a second. But, but Foster said, the life that's pleasing to God is not a series of religious duties. We only have one thing to do, namely to experience a life of relationship and intimacy with God. So against the outside-in cleansing, there's this inside-out cleansing. And and this is the primary difference, I think, between the two of them um, from the outset, is the goal is different. The goal is not right behavior, morality, um, uh, uh, painting a picture of, man, I've kind of got all this together. Um, The goal is not right behavior. The goal is what? The goal is God himself. That's the thing that that we're aiming at, that we're looking at. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12. We are fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? Not on all these things that he's commanded us to do. Um, If you take your eyes off Jesus and onto the things that you're supposed to do, then then you've missed it totally, right? You're doing something. I don't know what you're doing, right? But it's not Christian. So the goal is God himself and his kingdom. The virtues are the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
right? And guess what, guys? You can't produce any of those things in your life. It's impossible. You cannot keep the law of God. This is something that God has to do in you and through you. The process includes um, focus on intimacy with God, which is the goal, right? Through the spirit in conjunction with scripture, determine the steps needed to cultivate intimacy with God, which we would call the spiritual disciplines. And then habitually practice the steps in the power of the spirit. So the answer to the outside in cleansing and where you're like hyperactive and you're trying to bring about yourself willing this change in your life, the answer to that is, is not, uh, the, the answer to that uh, kind of legalism is not antinomianism where you do nothing, right? Um, the, answer is, the answer is no, there's still a lot that you have to do, but it's a different kind of work that you're doing. It's a cultivating work whereby you're placing yourself into a, into a position where the Holy Spirit can bring about the change in your life that only the Spirit can, can bring. And so um, you're aiming at God himself and his kingdom and you're placing yourself in a position of dependence where you're like, Lord, if you don't do this in my life, it does not happen. And so how can I agree with you um, in this process? Um, here's the Christ-centered cycle. You disobey. You experience uh, the kindness of God, the, 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 the conviction of, and, and this is where I would say, I don't want to dwell on this too long because we've run out of time, but, but there's a difference between like this, this, this heavy like guilt and shame and, and, a, and a kind of a, a sweet conviction that, that it, it kind of feels like um, that, uh, that realization you have when you realize you're playing in the mud and you're like, oh, like, God's invited me to a holiday at the sea, right? What am I doing here, right? There, there's that conviction of, of like, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to drop it in light of the, of the greatness of God. You experience that conviction. And then the Christ-centered talk is, I can't deal with this. I, and then I think the deeper truth, frankly, guys, is I don't even want to deal with this, right? Um, only Christ can deal with this. Look, a lot of times, a lot of times, and this is a great prayer. I think you ought to pray sometimes is, is, you, is you're like, Lord, um, <clears throat> I, I'm confessing my sin, but if I'm really honest, um, there's a part of my heart that still wants to go there, right? And, and a lot of times we leave that part out because we feel guilt and shame about the fact that that desire still exists in your heart. And I'm telling you, um, that's the part that, that you, you need to push out. Lord, I'm confessing this and I'm also confessing that my desire is still for this um, sin. It's still for myself. It's still for how I would try to find life apart from you. You have to help me with this, right? Um, man, that's a prayer right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like we ought to be praying that kind of stuff. This, look guys, it's not just about what we do. I'm talking about the inner motivation of your heart. I'm talking about the transformation of your desire, I'm talking about heaven as a place where you've been so radically transformed that even though the possibility of sin might still exist, you don't want to do it anymore. That's transformation. You know what I'm saying? Not just, I don't do those things anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. Where the, the transformation is where you don't need the fence anymore. That's transformation. That's, that's the work of the spirit in your life, Right? You confess, you repent, you obey in the power of the Spirit. The change comes as we habitually agree with the Spirit's work 
in our lives. Again, Ephesians 4.30 uh, and 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Both passages say, say one really simple thing. Do not what? Quench the Spirit. Right? The Spirit is at work in your lives, guys. He loves you. He wants to make you look like his son, Jesus. He'll do anything and everything at his disposal to make that happen. The only thing that will stop him is you. Right? So get out of the way. Agree with him. And formation occurs in the heart. This is transformation. Y'all, y'all get out that handout real quick. Because um, I'd love, it's the white sheet. I'd love for you guys to talk about this um, in your groups this morning. I know the last discussion question kind of talks on this today. But, you know, I don't know. Group leader or whoever's in charge, you do whatever you want. But, um, but uh, I, I think it's worth looking at. So this is a means of grace. And, and I would just challenge you guys. There's, there's uh, that, that kind of first paragraph up there that just says, hey, find a time to, to get away and be alone and listen, right? When's the last time we did that, you know? Find a time to get away and listen and, and uh, listen to what the Holy Spirit would have you do. Um, write, a, write, a, write a succinct paragraph that, to the best of your knowledge, accurately describes the condition of your heart. Not, not like, okay, this is, this is what I do. Try to, try to not think in terms of what you do, but why you do what you do. Think like that, right? And then, um, and then ask the Spirit to reveal a handful of areas in your life, just one or two. That's it. Don't try to eat the, don't try to eat the elephant, right? Just take one bite. Um, there's kind of like the crawl, walk, run phase. We're crawling, all right? So let's crawl. Um, pick one or two things that you're just like, okay, Lord, um, I really need for you to, um, uh, to, to help me in this area um, that, that uh, I continually am getting in your way and am quenching your work in my life. And then there's a corresponding discipline that you might implement um, just into the rhythm of your life to where once a week or, or twice a week or how, whatever the Spirit leads you to do, um, that you can practice those things um, to, to agree with, to put yourself into that, into that place where the Spirit can heal you, right? Um, and, and here's one last caution I would give us as we go, is that, um, we have this idea that, that there's like spiritual elites, right? We have this idea of like, of like the special forces Christian that like is constantly sharing his faith and he gets up at like three in the morning and he prays for six hours and, you know, and then by the end of the day, he's levitating at work, you know, and people are like, what in the world, you know? <laughs> I've got a running joke with a buddy of mine. Every time he talks to me, I'm like, hey, dude, are you levitating or not? Come on, let's go. Come on, pick it up. Um, we have this idea that that's, that that that's like the Christian life and nothing could be further from the truth. You don't practice the spiritual disciplines because you're strong. You practice them because you're weak and you'll never be anything but weak. And until you figure that out, you will not progress in the Christian life because you'll keep trying to do it yourself and you can't do it yourself. Only Christ can heal you. Only Christ is your strength. Right? We got to figure this out, guys, and we got to figure it out through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not like the self-will thing. But we don't want to be beginners. We don't want to admit that we're that we're novices. We don't want to admit that we're powerless and we're weak, right? But Thomas uh, Merton in Contemplative Prayer, he says this, we don't want to be beginners, but let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners. All our life. It's that same coming to Jesus as a child. I mean, go get all the degrees you want. I have a couple of them, right? 
Go try to figure that out. Go grow in intelligence. Grow in, man, we don't need more intelligent people. We don't need more busy people. We don't need more um, faithful in regard to working people. Um, We need deep people. We need people who consistently, um, day in and day out, go and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him and learn from him. That's who we need. Eugene Peterson said in the Jesus way, there are no experts in the company of Jesus. You think about that? Just mentally picture that. You're going up and you're walking in among Jesus' disciples and there's Jesus and you look at the other disciples like, hey guys, I'm kind of an expert at this. Yeah, there's a comical element to that. And yet how many times do we do that? How many times do we mentally gauge ourselves by that? And yet there's Jesus and, and, and it's, it's kind of like a, um, you know, a, an, an ant looking at an elephant going, you know, um, yeah. We are all beginners. We are necessary followers because we don't even know where we're going, right? And, and I'll end with this. Jesus said, come to me and learn, right? So my invitation to you this morning is, is to... Um, take the self-will and take the, the spade that you, you're trying to dig into the rocky soil of your life. And I would just say, man, put it down. Put it down and fix your eyes on Jesus. Go jump on his back and let him work. Um, he is your only hope. You guys have a great morning.